0: Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, will you open to Luke 15, verse 11? I want to ask you to be in prayer for our students who are at Strength to Stand. We have over 100 students at Strength to Stand um, over in East Tennessee this week. Um, And I just want to take a moment and say how grateful I am to pastor a church that wants to invest in the lives of teenagers. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's awesome. And so I'm so thankful for um, Tim and his group of volunteers who took them um, this week and suffered for the Lord in Gatlinburg, right? And And they're having a great time, and we pray that God will continue to work in the lives of our students. But this morning, we're continuing our series on the parables. Jesus, the storyteller. Parables are simply fictitious stories or illustrations that Jesus shares to drive home a point about the kingdom of God. And in these short stories, they are stories with a point. Have you ever thought about that Jesus doesn't go just from the manger to the cross? But he spends significant time teaching about the kingdom of God. And so this morning, I want to share with you three facts about parables, three key facts about parables. First is that there are over 40 parables in the Bible, 40 parables in the Bible. But these parables are only found in the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels means Matthew, Mark, and Luke which that means John is not a synoptic gospel. You you will find that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar, and they're called the synoptics. They tell a lot of the same material, and um, the parables are found there, but not in the gospel of John. And you will see that parables are used to draw comparisons. Jesus uses them to get you to think, not this, but that, and to draw comparisons. This morning, we're going to look at what may be the most famous parable of all, The parable of the prodigal son. Now while this parable may be well known, it's often misunderstood or not fully understood. So I want to give you a little background on this parable. In Luke 15, we have a scene happening. There are two groups gathered around Jesus. There are two groups gathered around Jesus that Jesus is telling the story to. All right? On one side are going to be the sinner's All right, so everybody from this side over, you're going to be the sinners today, okay? All right, you're the sinners. On this side over is the second group, you're the Pharisees. All right, so you're going to be the Pharisees this morning. So we have sinners and Pharisees both gathered around Jesus to hear him that day. And Jesus has begun to get in hot water with you, the Pharisees. They're getting upset with Jesus, and why are they upset with Jesus? Well, he's been spending time eating and talking with you guys, the sinners. So they're upset with Jesus for eating with the wrong people. You see, in that culture, to eat with someone was to associate with them, which we know about this. Remember back to middle school when you got your tray at the cafeteria Who were you going to sit with? Well, there were the athletes over here and the smart kids over there and friend groups over there. And to go sit with someone or to invite them to sit with you was to associate with them. And that's what's happening here is Jesus is associating with these sinners. Well, why are the Pharisees so upset with it? Well, they had devoted their whole lives to studying and keeping God's law. And they felt like that if they could keep the law good enough, then God's kingdom would be ushered in. They were trying to obey it enough and trying to get other people to obey it enough that if they could just obey enough, God's kingdom would come to Israel. And so they saw the problem in Israel as the sinners, the lawbreakers. And so they're wondering why, if Jesus is claiming to be a rabbi, a teacher of the law, is he then spending time with the people who are the problem? The sinners, those broken people. Why is he spending time with them, those people who are rebellious to God's law? Why is he going to the tax collectors, the prostitutes? Why is he going to those who are living in rebellion to God? Why is he going and spending time with them? And so in Luke 15, they confront him. And they say, Jesus, if you're a teacher of the law, why are you spending time with sinners? Why are you eating with them? And Jesus says, well, I'm glad you asked. And he does not answer their question directly, but instead he looks at him and says, all right, y'all are here today, sinners, Pharisees, y'all come closer. I want to tell you a story. And the story he's going to tell them in response to the question, why are you eating with sinners, is the parable of the prodigal son. And I want us to think of this parable this morning as a three-act play. A three-act play, and I want us to learn a truth from each act. Let's look at Act 1 together. In this story, Act 1, the curtains open, and we're going to entitle it, The Younger Brother Runs Away. Verse 11 says, He also said, A man had two sons. So this is how Jesus begins the story. A man had two sons. Well, there's a common misconception about this story just in the way we title it. We call it the prodigal son. But what do we learn here? How many sons does the father have? Two sons. So there's at least two sons, and there's another character, the man who's the father. So we learn in this that there are three characters, a younger brother, an older brother, and a father. You can see each of these characters represented in a painting by Rembrandt from 1669. In this painting, you can see the younger brother going home to his father, the father embracing him, and you can see the older brother off to the side with his arms crossed. So each character is important to this story not just the son who comes home, but each of the characters are important. Rembrandt wanted to draw your attention not to either of the sons, but to the father. He's the only one you can clearly see his face. And what Jesus is doing in this parable, is incredible. What Jesus is doing, he's saying, sinners, y'all come near and listen. Pharisees, y'all come near and listen. And I want to write you into this story. So Jesus is writing the groups that are there that day into the story. The younger brothers are going to represent the sinners. The older brothers are going to represent the Pharisees. And the father is going to represent Jesus and the heart of God. So keep that in mind as we walk through this story. Look at verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me so he distributed the assets to them. This is an incredible act of disrespect. The younger brother comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance. And the way that inheritance worked in that day is the older brother would receive two-thirds of the father's possessions, and the younger brother would receive one-third. Some of y'all are thinking that should still be the case today. Others of you think that's a bad deal, right? You only received the inheritance when the father died. And so what the younger brother is coming and saying to his father is, I wish you were already dead. I just want my stuff. Incredible act of disrespect to his father. But his father gives it to him. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. So he takes all that his father gave him, all of his inheritance, and he goes and he blows it in a few weeks. We find out later in this story, he's not just mismanaging his money, he's spending it on prostitutes and ungodly living. He completely wastes it all. Verse 14, After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens in that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So as the curtain closes here on Act 1, we see that the younger brother, he began living at the father's estate in this nice home, in this nice big farm, but he wants to go out on his own, and he squanders everything, and he ends up in a pig pen. I'm from Arkansas, and one of the things we have a lot of is hog farms, And when you get a hog farm, one of the things you have to do is go get everyone around you to sign off that it's okay because it's going to smell so bad. And so you have to have neighbor consent because of how bad hog farms can smell. But as bad as we think it is of living in a pig pen, think about it from a Jewish perspective. They believed pigs to be unclean animals. They had never eaten bacon in their life, right? And so when a Jewish man ends up in the pig pen wanting to eat the f- the food of the pigs that's as low as you can go in this world. He has hit rock bottom. He's gone from the father's house to rock bottom in the pig pen. What what is Jesus wanting to teach us? He's wanting to teach us this. Truth number 1, sin never delivers on its promises. Sin never delivers on its promises. I mean, everything seemed so promising for him when he packed his bags and left his father's house. He would be independent. He would finally get to do what he wanted to do, go where he wanted to go. He could pursue all the things that he always wanted, and he could be independent, and he could go after it. He could do the things that he thought would make him happy. But where did that leave him? In the pig pen, fighting with pigs for food. Sin never delivers on its promises. It reminds me of those Taco Bell ads. Have you ever seen those about 9 o'clock at night? And they come on, and they look incredible, right? They have the new thing out at Taco Bell, the Doritos Locos Gordita Crunch Taco Grilled Cheese with a Baja Blast, or whatever it is, right? And it looks amazing. But if you get in your car and you go to Taco Bell, and you get that thing, and you open it, it never looks like what was on the ad. It just never quite looks like that. And then when you eat it, it never quite tastes as good as you thought it was going to taste. The marketers of Taco Bell are genius. You know, sin's like that. Sin looks really good. It looks like it will satisfy us. Sin looks like it will make us happy. Sin looks like it will fulfill us. But in the end, it will leave you empty and in a pig pen. It never delivers on its promise. I want you to know that the devil has a master's degree in marketing. He makes sin look incredible, but sin never delivers. Ever delivers on its promise. It'll always leave you hopeless and helpless, like the younger brother in the pig pen. And so, scene one closes. The brothers in the pig pen, what's going to happen next? Both groups are wanting to know. The younger brothers, they know this story because the younger brothers, they lived this story. The Sinners, they had experienced this. They know what it's like to be in the pig pen. What's going to happen to him? The Pharisees are interested because they think he's, going to, he's got what he deserved. What happens in Act 2? Act 2, the father welcomes his son home. Look at verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger you see god's doing business there in the pig pen hear me just because someone has hit rock bottom do not think that means god has quit working in their life maybe god has allowed them to hit rock bottom that they have no other place to turn but back to the lord himself You see, God's at work in that pig pen. He's at work in the younger brother's heart. Imagine this younger brother, he's sitting there in the filth, fighting with the pigs, and he kind of climbs up to the fence, and he kind of leans up on the fence, and he just has a moment of clarity. Sin had left him in a state of fog, and he had been pursuing it, going after it, and he finally admits to himself, he says, listen, I've blown it. Things were so much better when I was at the Father's house. Even His servants eat. They have a roof over their head and food on their table. And here I am in the pig pen. What did I do? Maybe I can go back and be a servant. So He comes up with a plan. Verse 18, He says, I'll get up and I'll go to my Father and I'll say to Him. And He works on a speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He now knows he has disrespected his father. He has betrayed him. He has just been a terrible son. And so he knows he has no right as a son any longer. And so he wants to go back and be a hired worker. Many scholars believe that he wanted to be a hired worker. That Jesus is trying to or Jesus is showing that he wanted to earn his way back. He wanted to pay his way back. So he says, listen, I want to be a hired worker that I could come and that I can somehow make it up to you, Father, of all that I did. I squandered all of this money. I ruined your name and your reputation, and I want to make it up to you. And so he wanted to be a hired worker. Well, we learned three things about repentance here. First, repentance always requires you to wake up to reality. Repentance requires you to wake up to reality. And that's what he does. He just has a moment of clarity. Repentance requires you to own up to your sin. You've got to quit making excuses. And it requires you to have humility. He had walked out of the Father's house in pride, but now he had been humbled there in the pig pen. So what did he do? Verse 20. So he got up and Went to his father. But while the son was uh, still a long way off, his father saw him and, filled with compassion, he ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. This is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of the Bible. Here's the way I imagine it it says he saw him when he was, a far, when he was far off. I imagine that every day the father woke up and he longed to see his son come home. And every day when he wanted to see his lost son come home, he would go out to the porch and he'd sit out on the porch and he would look down the old road there by the farm and he would long for his son to come. And anyone who came by, he'd look down there and think, is that him? No. No not today someone else would come by and he'd look out is that him no but every day he would go out and he would look for his son longing for him to come home but on this day something was different he was out there on the porch and he looked out and he said could that be I mean it kind of looks like him I mean his hair's kind of grown out he's dirty could that be him it kind of looks like him it's about the right size and shape but he's very skinny he looks like he hadn't eaten in weeks like what's going on here is that him and as he gets closer step by step by step the father's heart is moved and he says that's my son and instead of waiting he gets up and he begins to run out of that porch and he runs down that road because he can't wait any longer. And he goes and he finds his son and he wraps him up so tight as if to say, Son, I will never, ever let you go again. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. How will the younger brother respond? Well, he prepared a speech. He might as well use it. Here he goes. He said, the son said to him, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he wants to be a servant. But the father's going to have none of that. Notice what he does in verse 22. But the father told his servants, quick. I love that. Not two weeks later. Don't let him prove himself. Don't let him show uh, for a few month trial period. Let's do a little probation. That's not what he does. He says, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Notice what he's doing with the robe. Who would have had the best robe in the house? The father. So what is he saying? Go get him my robe and put it on him. And I'm going to clothe him and cover him. Go get the family ring. Go get the family ring because my son is home. I want him to have the family mark. Oh, he may have ruined my reputation, but I'm not going to disown him as my son. He is my family. And then he goes and gets him sandals. Why why sandals? It's because sandals were a sign of wealth. The servants did not wear shoes in the house, but the sons did. And he's saying, my son is home. He knew that this younger brother did not deserve to be a son he was just asking to be a servant he wanted to pay the father back but here's one thing you must learn about jesus and about the grace of god you can't earn your way into the family of god the only way any of us are children of god is by grace and grace alone so what does the father do verse 23 he says then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast He's going to throw a party for him because why this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate so how does act two close the son is home the father's there and they're throwing an extravagant party to celebrate the return of the younger brother that leads us to our second truth No one is too lost to be restored by the grace of God. No one is too lost to be restored by the grace of God. If you have a pulse, you still have a possibility of being restored to God. No one is too lost to be restored to God. There may be some in this room who may be wondering right now, will God take me back? You might say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. But God does. And I can tell you with 100% confidence that if you will come to the Father like the younger brother came to his Father, if you will have a moment of clarity, if you will humble yourself, if you will own up to what you have done, and you come to the Father, I promise you, the Father is ready to throw His arms around you this morning and welcome you home. No one's too lost to be restored by the grace of God. And we learn that when sinners come home, God is not there ready to look at you and scold you and to say to you, hey, well, let me put you on a probation period before I welcome you back. God's not going to say to you, hey, why have you been running from me? How are you going to make it up to me? That's not what God's going to do. If sinners come home, they repent of sin and come to him, he is going to welcome you and throw you a celebration because a sinner has come home. We learn so much about the heart of the Father here. Some of you have family members. Some of you have family members that right now you're thinking about because you know they are like this prodigal, this younger brother, and you know that they may have grown up in church, but they have walked away from God. And they are not following Jesus. And they may be in the pig pen. I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. No one is too lost for the grace of God to restore. No one is too lost for, the rest- for to be restored by the grace of God. No one is too bad no one is too far gone if they have a pulse there is a chance and I want to encourage you this morning to keep praying for your prodigals keep praying for those who are lost keep going to the porch and keep looking and longing and ready for their return and when they do you run out and you greet them and you hug them and you welcome them home because that's exactly what God will do And many people end this story right there. They get him home. But if you end the story right there, you're really going to miss what Jesus is getting at. So let's go to Act 3. The older brother sulks outside. The older brother sulks outside. Look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He's like, what is going on? Why is there a party and no one told me about it? So he, got, he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. It's like, what's going on here? Your brother is here. And those words stung. He told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back. Safe and sound. And at this point... You kind of expect the brother to cheer and go welcome his brother and do what his father did and hug him and welcome his brother back. But what did he do? Verse 28 Then he became angry and didn't want to go in to the party. Why was the older brother angry? After all, his brother was home. He was offended by the grace that his father was showing his brother. He didn't think it was right. He didn't think it was fair. He refused to go into the party, and so he's outside sulking. But the grace of God reaches out to him too. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you. Look how hard I've worked for you, Dad. Look at all that I've done. I never ran off and squandered the money. I never did those things. Look how good of a son I am. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Notice what he's been trusting in. His own work. He's like, Dad, I earned my place here. My brother squandered it. I obey perfectly. I slave. Look what I have done. Dad, I deserve to be celebrated, not him. He thinks his obedience has earned him a place in the father's family, but it hasn't. His place was always by grace. In other words, Jesus is teaching us that obedience never puts us in God's debt obedience never puts us in God's debt in other words if we think we owe sometimes people will think if I obey enough then God will owe me if I if I will do these things God will owe me something if if I do this and I will God owes me that when I was in eighth grade I was playing basketball on our what we had a junior high team eighth and ninth graders I was the backup point guard and I loved it. And I really wanted to be the starting point guard. And so one night, after one Sunday after church, I made a deal with God. I said, God, I will read my Bible and do a devotion every night if you'll let me be the starting point guard. Seemed like a pretty good deal. So Sunday night, I do my devotion. I read my Bible. I go to school on Monday. Coach calls me into the office. He says, Brady, the starting point guard's sick today. We need you to start tonight. I'm like, incredible. This is awesome. I should have learned about this years ago. I wonder what I'll ask for next. Maybe a girlfriend. I'm not sure. (laughs) So that night I played, it went fine. And the next day came, and he wasn't sick anymore. And he was back to starting point guard by the end of the week. And I no longer wanted to do my Bible study. I no longer wanted to do my devotion. You know why? Because I wasn't in it to get to know God or the Father. I was in it to get what he could give me. I wanted the blessing, not the relationship. That's exactly the problem of the older brother. He wanted the Father's stuff. He says, look, I've earned it. You owe me, Father. Look what I did for you. I earned it. I worked away. I slaved away. You owe this to me. But you're giving it to the person who didn't work as hard as I did? You did it to the person who actually squandered everything? And the Father says, yes, I am. Hmm. How does the story end? Verse 30. But when this son of yours came, he doesn't call him his brother, does he? But when that son of yours, it's kind of like you do when you have a child who's disobeying, you say, you say to your spouse, that son of yours or that daughter of yours? <laughs> but when that son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, and sla- you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. You had a party for a sinner? Son, boy, that word carries a lot of weight in this text, doesn't it? Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the curtain closes on the older brother and his father out in the field. What are we to learn from Act 3? That no one is too good that they don't need the grace of God. There's no one in this room right now who's too good that they don't need the grace of God. He was saying to the younger brothers, he says, you need the grace of God. And they go, I know. He was looking to the Pharisees, to the older brothers and saying, you need the grace of God. And they said, oh, no. Here's how Jerry Bridges sums it up. He says, our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Man, that's money, isn't it? This morning, I want to remind you that if you are in the family of God, if you are a Christian, if you are headed to heaven when you die, you will not enter into heaven because you are a good person. You will not enter into heaven because you are better than other people. You will not enter into heaven because you went to church or because you gave money or you did religious activities. The only way that any of us, whether we are a younger brother or an older brother, the only way to enter into the family of God is by grace and grace alone. So parables are stories with a point. So what's the point of this story? I want you to imagine the two audiences once again gathered around jesus you have the sinners over here and the pharisees over here and the pharisees have asked this question jesus why are you eating with them with the sinners the broken people jesus doesn't act answer directly but instead he tells this parable it's as if Jesus wants to look out to both audiences. And he looks out at the sinners. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know some of you are some of you are in prostitution. Some of y'all are collaborating with Rome as tax collectors. You are trapped in sin and broken. I want you to hear me this morning very clearly, sinners. Sin never delivers on its promises. It will always lead you to despair and brokenness. Oh, it'll look good at first, but it will leave you in the pig pen. But I want you to know, sinners, He's saying, that if you will have a moment of clarity, if you'll own up to what you're doing, and you will humble yourself and come back to the Father, He will welcome you home. No one is too lost to be rescued by the grace of God. And you can even feel their hearts melt. And then He looks over to the Pharisees, and He says, listen guys, None of you are too good that you do not need the grace of God. You need it as much as they need it. You're looking down on them, you think they're the problem, and the problem is you're pointing at others. The problem is you. You need to repent. You need to have a moment of clarity. And if you will turn your life around, if you will, if you will humble yourself and you will come back to the Father, he will receive you too. He says, Listen, guys, you were lost in your rebellion. You were lost in your religion. But both can be be found if you will come back to the Father's house. So he tells this story. He makes this parable. And I kind of imagine there was a Pharisee there. And can you imagine one of the Pharisees saying, Jesus kind of makes this point that you're lost, you're lost too, and we all need the grace of God. And he kind of has a mic drop moment. And then, one of the Pharisees says, "But." But Jesus, you never answered our question. Why are you eating with them? And I can picture Jesus looking right at him and saying, Because I love them with a love that you can barely even imagine. But I love you like that too. And I have come to seek and save the lost, those lost in their rebellion, those lost in their religion. I want to seek and save the lost. It's the mission my father gave me to bring everyone back to the father's table, that he might welcome them home. This is the good news of the gospel. It's what Jesus proclaimed that day. and It's what we need to hear this morning. Let's pray again together. Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful story that has captivated attentions and imaginations for thousands of years. Father, there may be those in this room who wonder right now, will God take me back? Father, I pray that you will call them to yourself and show them that you will welcome them home. Father, there may be those who are trusting in their religion and good works. Father, I pray that they will see that those things will never save them, but they will trust in you and come home. Father, I pray for all of those in this room who are burdened by family members and loved ones who are prodigals, who have run away from you. Father, I pray for them right now, that you will draw them back to yourself, and that you will save them by your grace. Father, we thank you so much that you have embraced us Father, we acknowledge right now that the only reason that we are children of God and are welcomed at the Father's table is because of the grace of God. None of us here deserve it. None of us here earned it. None of us have it by right. We have a place at the Father's table by the blood of Jesus. And we acknowledge it is by grace and grace alone that we receive it. Father, we thank you that for all of eternity, we will be with you because of what the Son has done for us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, if you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, and you are trapped in your sin, I want to invite you this morning to come. Jesus will welcome you this morning. This morning, maybe you need to come and pray for someone in your life that is not walking with the Lord and you just need to lift them up to the Lord. I want to invite you to do that at this time. But whatever your story is, I know this. If you are a child of God, then the amazing grace of God is sweet to you. Amen? And so we need to respond this morning as those who have been welcomed home by the Father. Let's stand.